All right, here we go. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. Now, the King James says talents. This is known as the parable of the talents, but this is the new NIV here. Five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding in these very strong words that you spoke. Help us understand. Holy Spirit, come. We so need you. Hide me, I pray, Father, behind the cross of Jesus so that we can hear and see the Son of God and, Lord, respond to him this day. Lord, we love you. We give you praise and glory for every good thing that's going to happen here now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the last time I spoke, it was on the wise and the foolish virgins and about Jesus coming and the rapture and those that will be ready to go with him. And we did all of that. This week is on when Jesus comes back and takes his church, there is going to be an accounting. It's called the believer's judgment where everyone will give an account with, for the gifts and the talents and the resources that they had and, and how they used them. Jesus doesn't just want you to be ready for the rapture so that you go to heaven. When he thinks of having you ready, he loves you so much, he wants you not just to make heaven, he wants you to get the reward he planned for you. He has eternal rewards. He has given work for each one of us to do. And when we are faithful to do that work, there is a reward that will last forever. He wants you to be ready, not just to make heaven and be part of the rapture, but that you will have a satisfying, pleasing believer's judgment. That's who he is, and that's what he wants for me and you. So here's point one this morning. The theology of the parable of the talents. When you read this parable, it seems like the third servant doesn't make heaven. 
It seems like the first tutu and the, the wording used, the darkness and the gnashing of teeth, it sounds like that servant actually doesn't even go to heaven because he was unfaithful. Um, we need to be very, very careful when interpreting any parable. You don't make doctrine from parables. There are, there, each parable has a point, and that's important, but everything doesn't mean something necessarily in a parable, and you just need to be very careful. It's a genre of teaching. This is a story. Jesus is making a point. But as you're going to see in just a moment, I'm just going to tell you what I think. I do not think the third servant goes to hell. I think there is darkness, there is regret, there is some gnashing of teeth, but I don't think it's hell. And I'm going to explain why. Number one, when you are looking at anything in the Gospels, it's important to take all of the synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels. And all synoptic means is view together. To get the whole picture, you need to read all of them, all of the versions, to get what Jesus was saying. And in Luke's Gospel, in the parable of the talents, there is a distinction between those who reject Jesus as king and the, the servant that wasn't faithful with the money that he was given. Let me read to you what it, what it says here in Luke chapter uh, 19. Then he said to those standing by, take his mina, that's another word for talent, away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. There are two groups. One are those who rejected him as king, the other group are all those that accepted him as king and then were, needed to be faithful with the gifts that they had. And salvation in the New Testament is God's gift to us. It is by grace, through faith. Salvation is not about our faithfulness to use our gifts. Salvation is about his faithfulness to provide a savior, and that salvation is given as a gift. Secondly, when interpreting scripture, you always let clear teaching interpret obscure teaching. What is most clear, you let that interpret that which is obscure. And just the nature of the genre of parables is it's more obscure. The most clear teaching in the New Testament on the believer's judgment is found in 1 Corinthians 3. And we will read, we'll read that passage in just a second. Let me bring you into it. Paul is talking about the believer's judgment. He starts it by saying this. There's no other foundation that can be laid other than the one that God himself has laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of what we build is Jesus Christ. It is salvation by grace through faith. Everybody gets in the same way through the cross as a gift. Then Paul says this. Once you are saved, once you've laid that foundation, everyone builds on that foundation. Some build with wood, hay, and stubble. Others build with gold, silver, and precious stones. But that day, the day of the believer's judgment, all of our work will be tested and revealed by fire. God will send fire to burn it. And then here's what he says. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss and yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Once you become saved, we are, Jesus, Jesus has gone away, he's going to return, and we are going to give an account for what we did with the resources we had, with the talents we had, the gifts we had, the abilities we had, the money we had. All of us will give an account at the believer's judgment. If... 
Everything we did was basically for man. Wood, hay, and stubble. Stuff man plants, man reaps. It's all man-made. It was all for me. It was all so that people would like me or, or, or that they would think I was really spiritual. And it was just done for man, by man, with wrong motives. All of that's going to burn. But everything that was done, the gold, silver, and, and precious stones, those are things that man can't make. Everything that was initiated by heaven and done in union and in intimacy with God and for the glory of God, those things are going to remain and that reward will last forever. Those who suffer loss, the loss, is it's not of their salvation, their soul is still saved. The loss is that the, the reward God wanted for them. They, they, there will be a time for those who lived for themselves as Christians, those who hung on to Jesus, but basically just did their own thing and tried to get God to serve them and just did their own little Christian thing, got into the performance thing, were trying to impress people. Th- that, all that's going to burn and there's going to be a time of darkness, a time of shame, a time of regret. A time of gnash, that, that's the whole idea of gnashing of teeth is, is regret. I wasted my life as a Christian. Now, why does Jesus speak so directly on these things and so strongly on these things? He doesn't want you to be that person. He doesn't want me to be that person. And so that's, that's why he speaks so strongly. So here's point two. Excuses that lead to unfaithfulness. In the guy that buries his talent and gets so rebuked by the Lord and has this time of regret and outer darkness, in his response, you're going to see three excuses that he makes. Now, when, when Jesus comes back and he, and he says, why, why didn't you do this? Notice, he, he's got the answer right there. You know why he's got the answer right there? Because he's been telling these to himself his whole life. The, these don't, this isn't going to come on that day. The, the, the problem with these lies is you're telling yourself them now. And, 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 and there are excuses that keep us from being faithful. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do today is he wants to dismantle any excuses we're hiding behind. Any excuses that we bought into and it's leading us to a very unfaithful, unfruitful life. So let's pay attention so that we don't get deceived by these excuses. So here's number one. First excuse. I'm unimportant and unneeded. Here's 1 Corinthians 12, 15. 15 and 16. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. On our physical bodies, there are some parts that are more prominent. They're more used, they're more seen, they get more credit, and there's other parts that are more unseen. The great temptation is for the foot to say, because I'm not a hand. Hands, people are washing their hands all the time. People put skin cream on their hands. No one puts oil on their foot. People, people shake hands and hands are displayed so prominently and used for so many things. Surely hands are really important. And what do you think when you think about feet? You think of stinky feet. <laughs> they're hidden, they're stinky. Or the ear. The ear says, because I'm not an eye, I, I, I'm not part of the body. Have you noticed that no, one's, no one says, you have such beautiful ears. <laughs> no, it's all about the eyes. It's all about, oh, you've got those most beautiful eyes and you've got penetrating eyes and I just, I just look into your eyes and eyes, 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 eyes. No one says, oh, I wish I had your ears. 
When we talk about prominent callings, we are only talking about man's perspective. Well, an apostle or a prophet or a pastor, no, that's ministry. That is an important calling. That is only man's perspective. In God's perspective, every, every calling is equally prominent. If you are called to be a mom at home watching a couple kids, that is prominent to God in God's sight. If you are called to be an accountant, you're called to be a salesman, you're called to be a mechanic, every calling is the same to God. It's man that says this one's more important, that one's more important, da 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 da. And it's very, very important that we, do, we, we tell ourselves. I am valued and I am needed. I am part of this thing. God has given me a part to play. And if I don't play it, no one else will. Excuse number two. It's not fair. Not fair. I don't know how they learn it, but two-year-olds come up with this. It's not fair. It's not fair. They, they can start very young. He's a hard man. Part of that can mean this. You're hard in this. You're unfair. One gets five, one gets two, and I only got one. It's not fair. It's not right that somebody else sings, somebody else speaks, somebody else does whatever you admire, and I'm stuck with this. It's not fair. So when we were in southwest Minnesota, a city called Montevideo, we had, a, we had a big children's ministry and we had a youth pastor and a 7th through 12th ministry, but we had this group, 4th to 6th grade, kind of too old for the kids' stuff, too young for the youth group, and somebody had to take them, and so I volunteered. We, call, we called it GAP. Uh, kind of, they were in the gap, but gap also meant God answers prayer. Anyway, I had so much fun with this group and we had probably 50 to 60 kids every week. And I had a group of leaders and we were teaching on the parable of the talents. And here's what we did. As the, I had a bunch of leaders, as the kids came in, a third of them got $500 bills, monopoly money. A third of them got $100 bills, Monopoly money. And the, the, the third third got $50 bills, Monopoly money. And they, they, got, they all got their money. And I said, uh, now we're going to take, uh, and I set a time. First, we had these awards. And I had, these are the re rewards that are going to be given. At the end. Everybody wanted those rewards. I said, so what you're going to have to do is take what you have and use it, and you will get paid for using it. And so we had all these stations set up. There was push-ups, sit-ups, jump rope, um, just, different, just different things they do. And what, what they had to do is they went to their station, and if they had the 500, they would get, pay their 500, they would do the 10 push-ups, and then they would get that $500 back and another $500. And, and if you were trading in hundreds, 100, 100, 50, 50. So I'm sitting over on the side at, a little, at the reward table. You know what I spent my, my night doing? The people that got the $50 spent their time at that table. I only got 50. I, 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 there's no way I can get those awards. They're getting 500, I'm only getting 50. It's not fair. It's not fair. There's no way I can compete with it. I'm like, listen, listen. You've got to trust me. It's going to be fair in the end. It will be fair in the end. They they go up moping. They can't believe it's going to be fair. How could they possibly get as much money as those people? I've only get fifty dollars each time. And so you know they're doing their push-ups like this, and they're just kind of and you know. And then I've got another person at the table, and guess who that is? Somebody that's got the fifty dollars. Same thing. Trust me, it'll be fair. Trust me. Then I have to make an announcement to the group. It will be fair in the end. Keep working. So at the end, everybody brings their money in, and everybody that had the 500, it gets divided by 500. Everybody that had the 100 gets divided by 100. Everybody that had the 50 gets divided by 50. God's not impressed with gifts, folks. He's the one that gave them. He's not impressed with production. You, we can't even compare production. 
There's only one thing that impresses God, faithfulness. To be faithful with what he's given to us. Heaven sees things very different than we do. Jesus and the disciples are watching people put money in the money box. And some of the rich people are putting great amounts of money in there. And this little widow gets up there and puts in a little. And and Jesus says to his disciples this. That widow just put in more than everyone else. Jesus knows exactly what she put in. And he knows what her assets are. He already knows that. He knows those that put in a lot. He, he, and he says this. He says they've put in out of their excess. She put in some of her living money. That's how heaven sees. Heaven knows what everybody in this building is worth. He knows every gift you have, your time. He knows every resource you have. And he knows how you're using them. That's who we're dealing with. He knows everything. It's just how heaven sees so then why, why, Tom? Why, why, does it, why does it have to be different? Why, why can't we all get the same? Want to know what I think? It really doesn't matter because I'm going to tell you what I think. <laughs> I think it was because God didn't want us to compare with one another. I think he wanted it, it to be impossible for us to base out what we're doing on what somebody else is doing. I think he wanted to get that out of our system. He wanted us to think like a body that's working together. Like we're all different parts, we're all got different gifts, and we're, we're, ha- we're having to work together. This competitive thing is so deep in us, this envy, jealousy, looking at somebody else, look at what somebody else is doing, is so deep in us that after Peter, the first guy in the church, the, 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 the rock, after he falls, he gets reinstated by Jesus. And then Jesus says to, these words to him, Peter, the day is coming when you are going to die for me. You're going to go where you don't want to go. You're going to pay the ultimate price. I mean, this is very heavy language. This is a very intense moment. Do you want to know what Peter's response to this is? Here's his response. What about him? What's going to happen with him? Points to John. Here's what Jesus said. This is going to sound callous. Here's what he says to Peter. Whether he lives or dies, what's that to you? You follow me. Peter, it's none of your business. What happens with with John? Your business is to follow me. And the reason a lot of times we're not taking care of our business, which is to follow Jesus, is we're worried about everybody else's business. You want to know, you want to get really free? Recognize this. You are no one else's savior and no one else's judge. So stop trying to save them and stop trying to judge them. Yeah. Tremendous freedom. We've all got business with God and it is to follow Jesus. So here we go. I'm unimportant and unneeded. Stop it. Stop saying it to yourself. It's not fair. Stop it. And then here's the third one. It's too hard. He's a hard man. Can be because he's made life so hard. That that I'm trying to serve, I'm trying to worship, I'm trying to follow, I'm trying to give, but it is too hard. Part of the problem is our expectation. Sometimes we are surprised that there's a cross. This isn't what I signed up for. Well, Jesus is like, well, what did you sign up for? I said, whoever follows me is going to have to pick up their cross and follow me. Sometimes we just sign, we signed up for our own idea of what it would be like to be a Christian, that everything's going to be easy and comfortable, and I love God now, and so he's going to take care of everything, and nothing is going to be hard. And, and if that is your expectation, it, you're, you're, going to, you're going to get to this place where you feel like it's too hard. So in 2007, we had a horrible trauma as parents. Uh, One of our children walked away from Christ and um, it it was 
it, the, the feelings of failure are just so strong as a parent. And I'm not saying it was a failure. I'm just saying it felt like a failure. And, and men have something they do when they feel like they're failing. They find another area where they can succeed. And so even though this tragic thing was happening, something really exciting was happening. God was taking us out of western, southwest Minnesota and bringing us to Madison, and there had been all this prophetic, and this was going to be exciting. And so I had a new thing to pour myself into. So I took all of my bad feelings, and I, I, I shifted them over to ministry. Now I will, I will have a success that will kind of counteract the pain over on the other side. And so here's what happens. Uh, that my good friend that brought me to Madison got wounded in the process and started operating out of that wound. And, and so division happened in the church had, that eventually led to another church starting. And, and it was just... Horrible. It was so painful. I wasn't angry. I was just sad. I was just very, very sad every day. And, uh, but I had, a, I had a meeting with God. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. How many are glad that the Holy Spirit speaks in the middle of trials? It was a, it was a prophetic moment. Our house in Montevideo had not sold, so we were staying uh, in, in the basement of my brother Mike and his wife Diane. Um, they graciously let us stay in their basement and the Holy Spirit said this, this is a time of abasement. This is, you are in a time of abasement, a season of humility. I thought it was going to be a season of success. It was a time of humility and brokenness. The pinnacle moment to express it was Mike and Diane had at that time a cat named Comet. Comet was one of the ugliest cats I've ever seen. It was, Comet was very old. He was, it was horrifying to just look at Comet. But when, when Comet meowed, honestly, it sounded like a horror movie. It, it was just, it was frightening. Well, Comet's food and water uh, was downstairs in the basement. And I'm like, you know what? We're, we're taking, we're, we're already living down here. And I said to Diane, I said, you know what? Why don't I take over the duties of feeding and giving Comet water? And she's like, oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. And so we've had cats before. I know how to take care of cats. Cats are easy to take care of. Just fill up their, their food dish and their water and you don't even think about it. They take, they take care of themselves. Well, the next morning after I took over, and please, Plug your ears if you don't like anything gross, because this is bad. <laughs> next, the next morning, I get up, I come out into our living area, and there's a big pile of cat poop right in the middle of the room. And I'm like, my first thought is I should tell Mike and Diane about the, this pile. My second thought is, hey, this is our area. I'm responsible. There was an accident. Accidents happen. I'm going to find cleaning supplies. They're never even going to know this happened. And so I clean it all up, get it all looking good again. And um, problem is it happens the next day too. It's a, the pile is in a different place, but every single morning it happens. I am cleaning up every single morning for two weeks. Then we have to go back to Montevideo to do something on the house. So we're gone for a few days. So Diane takes over again. And when we get back, I intercept her as she is about to feed Common. And she's only got a few morsels of food in her hand. And she's putting it in the dish. And I'm like, Diane, save yourself some time. Just fill the dish up. And she says, oh, she says, no, no. She says, uh... Comet actually has a stomach. He, he's got a, an issue with food. He doesn't know when to stop eating. He, she said, if I did that, he'd poop everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, really? I'll try to remember that. So we're in this time of abasement. 
And I am, I am just grieving and trying to recover. And, and so what I've, the, the way I did it is I, I started reading books on the Civil War. I, I thought of people in history that had it worse than me. I can't think of anything worse than Abraham Lincoln and what he had to deal with. So I'm reading books about Lincoln. After I'm done with that, I start reading about martyrs. And no matter how bad your life is, trust me, people have had worse lives than you. And so I'm reading about the martyrs. I'm, I'm, I'm reading about what they have gone through. And I'm, I'm trying to embrace this, get through this time. And I think the hope, whenever you're in a really difficult time, is it'll be over soon. <clears throat> Sometimes it doesn't work. I, I mean, I was sure there was going to be a deliverance very soon and the, the, the division would be solved and it didn't happen. The host didn't sell for six years. But what happened instead, it, the, another church started and people trickled out of our church because they wanted to be with a new exciting church and, and the, we were losing money as a church every single week. And what finally happened at the end of 2008, I got two of the pastors that I, had, I put on in, while I was there and made them full-time pastors. I said, guys, this is, these are the numbers right now. Here's what's coming in. Here's what's going out. I'm, I'm in charge. And so we're going to give till the end of the year to pray, but to keep you on, we are going to have to have a miracle. And so we, we prayed and we believed God and, and right at the end of the year, there were a couple big gifts and, and then we figured out that if we cut our offices in half, we would save a lot of money there. And if we cut our services in half, we were meeting at La Follette High School and we were using their auditorium. And if we would make it one service instead of two and stop using the auditorium, which is very expensive, and do it in the gymnasium, we would save a lot of money. And it worked out if we didn't take any raises and we made all these changes that we could keep them on. And I was, I was so excited about this provision and that God found a way. Now, here was the problem. To have this service in the gym, how many know it's not, it, it's just not conducive in a gymnasium? So, we had to set up pipe and drape, which took a, a lot of time and to make it more intimate, to make it special. And, and somebody was going to have to set up 400 chairs. And uh, everybody already was having more responsibility with this pipe and drape. And so I was, I was the guy. I was the guy for the 400 chairs. And, uh, and I remember those days. I remember it was, always the, it was most hard with the first, the first chair. Up till this time, I'd been able to pray and seek God in the morning and then come and just preach. And now I still have to do that, but I need to set up 400 chairs. And, and I remember how I got through it. I want to read this verse first. Hebrews chapter 12, two and three. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I asked our, doesn't the sanctuary look nice? All the improvements that, that have been made. We, we've got a cross right now that's being designed that will be up there by the missions conference. It's going to go right in the middle, but this cross isn't going away. I asked them specifically to put it up today. This was the cross that we used at Mad City it's kind of out of place here, isn't it? This is a modern, you know, trying to look a little more hip. And the cross, the old, the old rugged cross, it doesn't really fit in that well with American culture, does it? But let, let me tell you something. Here's what I did when I set those chairs. Always the first chair, I would always say this. Jesus, you, you are worthy of me setting up these chairs. You went to the cross for me. You endured 
The Father's wrath on sin for me. You left heaven. You, you were born in a stable. You were rejected by men. You hung naked on that cross. You are worthy of me setting these chairs up for you. It gives you strength. It gives you strength to consider him who for joy embraced that cross for us. It gives you strength. It takes away your weariness. I want you to consider this. The harder your life is, thank you, Lisa. The harder your life is, the more meaningful your worship is. The harder your trial is, the harder the thing you're going through, the harder that betrayal was, the harder that, that, that the, the sickness is, the pain is, the harder it is, the more meaningful it is to God when you choose to serve him and worship him and give to him anyway. This is worship that is not possible in heaven. Here's why. The angels all worship, and they're all 100% in all the time. But you know what? It's comfortable up there. It's beautiful up there. It's all light up there. It's down here that we experience darkness. It's down here where we experience trials and heartaches and headaches and all kinds of things that are going wrong and that are difficult. And when we worship anyway... When we choose to embrace the cross and say, Jesus, you're worthy. I give you my cross. I give you what's hard in my life. And I embrace it for you. And I say you're worthy. And I'm not going to be offended with you. But I'm going to serve you anyway. Guys, it touches heaven. That's, that's the worship that bring tears, brings tears to the Father. Point three, last point. Helping Jesus carry his cross. Matthew 25, verse 40. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. What? How, in what way is me helping a human being helping Jesus? Here, here's how. Jesus has purchased the entire human race with his blood. The very human race that he created, he has redeemed. So in his mind, everybody belongs to him. Everybody that's saved, everybody that's not saved, everybody belongs to him. So when you help a fellow human being, you are helping Jesus. Now, here's what I learned this week. <laughs> you know how I, how I said that everybody gets gifts, but they're not equal? that some have more gifts. Well, here's the other thing. Everybody has a cross, but they're not equal. Just like everybody has a gift and they're not equal, everybody has a cross and they're not equal. Let me explain some of the crosses that God has allowed the human race to carry. One of them is an economic cross. Jesus said, when you give food to the hungry and drink to the thirsty and clothes to the naked, you are feeding me. You are taking care of me. There are some people in this world that economically are worse off than us. In fact, most of the world. And when we take of our resources, not because we have to, not because we feel guilty, not because somebody taxes us on it, but when we take it out of our own volition and we say, here, Jesus says, thank you. You just gave food to me. You just helped me. You helped me carry my cross. Does everybody remember Simon the Cyrene who actually literally helped Jesus carry his cross? When we... Feed those who are hungry. We are helping Jesus carry his cross because that person has an economic cross. There's a second cross. It's, called, it's a social cross. Jesus says this, when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. 
A, 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 a social cross means this. Somebody that's worse off than you. you you've got friends. You've got family. You, you, you know how to, to relate to people. Well, let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that don't have friends. They don't have a real natural family because they've been abandoned or in some way cut off and they're very, very lonely. Some people sit right here among us and they don't have anybody to go to lunch with after church today. They don't have anybody that's going to approach them and say, hey, hey, let's do this or let's do that. And Jesus says, when you and I reach out beyond our little comfort zone in our little group and welcome somebody... Welcome somebody that might be a different color, a different economic group, a different... When we reach out and welcome somebody, Jesus says, thank you. You just lightened my cross. You just helped me carry a cross. How many know that there's a, there's a physical cross? Jesus said, when I was sick, you visited me. Being sick is a cross. Being, having diseases, having, how many know that some people just get DNA that is bad DNA physically and they've got issues and they've got this disease and that disease and, and this chronic thing and that allergy and this thing. And that is a cross. Don't minimize that. That's a cross. And when we reach out, we don't, we don't have to heal the one that's sick. Just visit them. Just value them. Just hear their story. Come alongside them. We, we help to list, lift their cross. And it's funny, isn't it, with physical things. However bad you have it, somebody's got it worse. Somebody has got it worse. And then there's a moral cross. Jesus says, when I was in prison, you visited me. There are, there are people that are born and four generations of sin is coming down on them and they've got liars and cheaters and adulterers and, and all of that is in their spiritual DNA right from birth and they are easily given to addiction and given to this and that and all kinds of stuff and end up in prison. And Jesus says, when you go and visit them and you let them know that they're still valued, that they are still loved, that there is forgiveness for them, that I died for them, you are, you are coming to me. Do you know that a lot of revivals happen in prisons? And no, no one can understand the gospel more easily and quickly than somebody in prison because of crimes that they committed. It, it, revival, it, it, it's very easy to own that you're a sinner. What's oftentimes harder for prisoners is to own, oh my, I am loved and Jesus died for me. And even though man isn't forgiving me and I need to serve my time, Jesus forgives me and I can go to heaven when I die. Come on, that's exciting. It's more meaningful when I don't have to ask for it. So... So here's what happened. So I'm, I'm setting these chairs up every week. Jesus, you're worthy of this. Jesus, you're worthy of this. Jesus, you're worthy of this. And it gets to be May. And my daughter, Christina, comes back from college. She was at Winona State. And she comes to me and she says, Dad, I'm going to help you set those chairs up on Sunday morning. This is my cross to bear. I did not ask her to. I didn't even tell her I was doing it. She just observed it and she said, Dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you set up chairs on Sunday morning. And something happened that summer. It was so beautiful. Every single Sunday morning, without me waking her up or telling her anything, she was there with me and we set up chairs together. Then we would go to the back hallway together and we would pray for the service together. It was such a beautiful summer because of that. And it, but, but August was coming, and I knew she was going to go back. And I am not an emotional guy. I'm a, I'm a thinker, not a feeler. But as it got closer to her leaving, I just was so sad. 
because she filled such a huge gap. She, she lifted, she lifted the load. And she went back to school. And two weeks later, David and Karen White came to me, older couple in the church, and they said, our new ministry is to set up chairs with you every Sunday morning. And guys, they never missed a Sunday morning. If they were going on vacation, if they were at a family reunion, they would come and set those chairs up before they did. They wouldn't, sometimes they couldn't even come to church, but they would come every single Sunday from Mad City, from all the way until City Church started. Every Sunday morning, they were there without fail. It was, it was the gift of God. Somebody lifted my cross. It was my cross to bear, but somebody came alongside me and helped me. It's a couple in our church. We had supper with them a month ago because they invited us and they have given me permission to share a little of their story. I'm closing with this. They came from another country, very, very poor country, where they knew absolutely no one in the United States. They're learning the language and they were Christians. They were looking for a church, but the, the, they had a little kid and the wife just got a little tired of the search process. So only the husband was doing the search process and uh, they were struggling to make it. They, they literally didn't know where their next meal was coming from. And so he came and he sat in the back of this church. And after the service, the lady that was in front of him turned around and said, the Lord told me to give you this. And she gave him $100. And he, he went out and got groceries and came home with groceries and, and said to his wife, this is what happened. This lady turned around and gave me $100. Here's what his wife said. I have got to visit a church where somebody randomly turns around and gives $100. So, so, the, next, so the next week, she's there with him. And they start coming here regularly. Well, she gets pregnant with twins. And it, right in the middle of winter, it's December, those twins are coming early and she has no one to take her to the hospital. Oh, she, he's, he's got a job where he's all over the world. And he's out of state and she has got to get to the hospital. She has no fr friends, no family. There's no one to call. So she calls the church office. And the, the secretary gives her to Angie Russo, who was our woman's pastor then. And Angie takes her to the hospital and takes that little guy back and sets up child care for him and sets up meals for her. And at this point of the story, she is breaking in and she says, this, it was just overwhelming what Angie and by Angie, this church did for her in her greatest time of need. And then he says this. He says, we're, we're, we're all in. He said, I cannot tell you how many people we've invited to this church. They go out now. Any new person that's coming from another country, they are there to welcome them. Oh, you need a church? You come to this church. This, you will be taken care of at this church. That is the gospel. Could we, could we stay? Yeah. Amen. Could we stand to our feet? So there's two, the worship team is coming and there's two groups that I want to pray for this morning. The first one is you are here and um, you don't know that you've laid the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. It's just receiving that gift of eternal life. It's just acknowledging that I'm a sinner and that he's a savior. And it's not about how good I am. It's about how good he is. It's not about how faithful I've been. It's about how faithful he has been and accepting that gift and making it your own. Now I have a little secret for you because every, every week I'll have a head bowed and raise your hand if you're doing that. And the only reason why we do that is because there's been confusion about water baptism. In the New Testament, no one ever comes to an altar and no one ever raises their hand to, to accept Christ. Do you know how they did it in the New Testament? They got baptized. 
They went public. They said, I want to declare faith in Christ, my private faith in Christ, by going public and identifying with the death, that's what going down in the water is, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I'm going to pray in a moment, but if you, if you want to be saved, I'm going to encourage you when the service ends to come up and sign up with those that have already signed up for the August 5th baptism that's coming up. Some of you, maybe you've already raised your hand and prayed the prayer, but you've never gone public. Do it. Don't think about it. Don't overthink about it. Am I ready? Am I ready? Listen, just obey. Don't, don't analyze whether you're ready. Go public. Jesus is your savior. If you've taken him, then you need to get baptized and confess that publicly. There's a class next to it. Anyway, sign up. Here's the second call. You are definitely a believer. You have laid the foundation. You understand the gospel. This is a gift. I've asked Jesus. And you want to be ready, not just for the rapture, but for the believer's judgment. Would you just open your hands like this? Close your eyes. In the re- we call this the received position here. Father, I thank you for these wonderful people. I thank you for your great, great love that doesn't just want us with you in heaven, but you want to give us the reward that you planned for us. You want us to fulfill the work that you have laid out for us so that you can reward us for all eternity. Now, God, I pray that you would touch us today. I pray that you would strengthen. I pray for those that have been in a hard, hard, long season carrying that cross. Jesus, would you come alongside them today and put in their mouths these words. He is worthy of this. He is worthy of me going through this difficulty and this hardship, and I refuse to turn my back on him. I am going to press on. He is worthy of me carrying this cross. Father, I pray for all of the ears and feet that are here that have felt not good enough, have felt not prominent enough, have felt overlooked and unimportant. Lord, would you sow deeply into every single heart that they are needed, they are wanted, they are valued, and that you see everything that they are doing for you, and it will be fair in the end. Please, God, receive our worship this morning. Receive our worship. Father, we're praying for this community. It says in Psalm 68 that you're going to set the lonely in families. Lord, would you make us a family? Would you make everyone a family here? Would you make those that feel like strangers, that feel like they're on the outside looking in, would you make them feel like they're in this family? And then, Father, would you bring lonely people here? There's so many lonely people in our culture, God. With all this technology, I think it's created loneliness. Would you draw people to this place? And, Lord, here's our promise as a congregation. You bring them here, and we will love them. We will look at them and say, oh, Jesus is here. No matter what shape they're in, no matter what their economics, whatever their morality, Jesus just came in. Let's love him. Let's love him. Let's let's carry that cross with that one that just came in. Do it, Lord. We love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you need to get baptized, come on up and sign up. Everybody's invited back tonight. 6 o'clock, 6 to 7.30 tonight. God bless you. We're going to have ministry teams up here if you need more prayer. Have a great day.